That's philosophy. Is that a sport? Uh, no, it's more of an attempt to uh, construct a viable hypothesis to uh, explain the meaning of life. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Would you like to talk about the meaning of life, darling? Sure, why not? Philosophy for two? Right. And welcome to today's episode on the Philosophy Guy. And today's episode is going to be on the philosophy of the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. So first of all, I'll quickly get the boring stuff out of the way. My own little self-advertisement that I've been starting to do. So start off by saying thank you for the support so far. The podcast has seen some large growth over the past couple of months, so Thank you for that. It's not possible without, obviously, people listening to the podcast. And it's it's pretty good, I think, considering I've only really been putting out episodes about once a month, which I'm trying to get better at. And with this episode coming out, it has gotten a little better, I guess. But anyway, sorry, for but, but it does help to promote the show by doing my little self-advertisement. Uh, it's it's, it's kind of where I personally justified trying to make you feel guilty. <laughs> um, I want to, so basically I want to always keep this podcast ad free because I get ads are, are, are kind of annoying, you know, and I don't consider exactly a self-advertisement, a full advertisement because I'm not, I'm not, uh, someone's not paying me to do so. Right. But I mean, so, so I'm a podcast listener myself. I started this podcast after being a podcast listener and was motivated to start this podcast because my podcast is, is it's, it's covering an area that I thought wasn't being met. So I decided to, to provide that. So how can, can you help the podcast and even better help fund the podcast to start? You know, please just subscribe, rate and review. That's a lot of help in itself. It helps kind of spread the podcast. As for funding, you know, I, I hate to use the coffee analogy because I do think it's overused, but I think it's actually good one in, in a sense because you know, we don't, we don't think twice about paying four to five bucks for a coffee. And some of us almost do this every day. And depending on the week, I'm one of those guys. And that's kind of why that coffee analogy resonates with me because I am someone that overspends on overpriced coffee. See, I, so I love doing this, but I'm also a realistic guy. I need to pay the bills. So I need to prioritize my reading and writing of other things that, you know, they, they pay me. So, but I'd love to prioritize more time for the podcast. And the only way I can do that is with your support. So research for these episodes can take 20 plus hours after recording and editing. And the more support I have, the more content I can put out. So at first I thought of it as, as kind of begging for money, but really it's kind of a straightforward relationship. See, many of us, including me, buy a book without knowing what's inside or you maybe you have an idea what's inside but you don't know what's inside for sure so like spending 10 to 30 dollars on it doesn't you don't really bat an eye but with a podcast you have the option to fully review the podcast first consume what you like then decide if it's worth your dollars to put forward to it it's a very kind of it's a very transparent relationship in the business marketing world. And even a cup of coffee's worth of dollars per month is extremely helpful in me being able to prioritize more time. Plus, you do get bonus material for supporting the podcast, such as full episodes with the bonus content included, voting on, you know, next covered content, group discussions, and other things of 
that I kind of think of as I go. So if you're interested in supporting the podcast, you can follow my Patreon in the link below. And I'd like to say thank you again for your support and thanks for listening. Now let's get on with the show. So to start, we're going to do the little bit of exposition about um, Eternal Spotlight or <laughs> Eternal um, Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And some obvious spoilers ahead. I still feel the need to say that. But hey, if you love philosophy, maybe this kind of will motivate you to go see the film. So you don't necessarily need to see the film. That's kind of why I do the exposition as well. And to remind people of what the movie was kind of fully about. But it was uh, directed by Michael uh, Dondry. I don't know if I pronounced his last name correctly. But he released it back in 2004. So this makes my my first kind of uh, sort of episode on an all-time great philosophical film. Um, my first analysis on that type of film, because I've kind of been doing current films and TV shows. But Eternal Sunshine is a it's a non-linear movie that tracks in reverse the relationship of jo- Joel, played by Jim Carrey. He's kind of a guarded and sensitive man. And Clementine, who's played by Kate Winslet, a colorful and impulsive woman. The movie begins with, Joel and Clementine, where they meet again, unknowingly meet again. We we know that, I guess. But after having literally erased each other from memory, using the services of doctor of the doctor at uh, Lacuna Inc. I think that's how you pronounce the the company's name. The movie jim, uh, then jumps backward uh, a few days to the traumatic scene of Joel's discovery that Clementine, after a nasty fight, impulsively decides to have Joel erased from her memory. So this happens after Joelle encounters her and she doesn't recognize him, which Joelle doesn't understand this because he hadn't found out that she had her memory erased of him. So anyway, this his family ends up telling him, uh, which because it's, it's a film, I'll let that slide, but, but come on, we, we've been <laughs> through that, the awkward life encounter where a couple in your friend group breaks up. You share the same friends in some way. Do you really think sending out a letter saying to your friends or friends uh, that, that, hey, this friend got their mind zapped about their ex, so never talk about that significant other around them and never tell the ex that he or she had their memory erased. I mean, let's be honest, the success rate of of people never finding out that they had their memory erased is probably close to zero. But, you know, maybe for a pet, uh, that might be a different story. But anyway, We'll get back on track, but you know that's just kind of one uh, issue with the film, but it's not a big enough issue because then again, it is a film, and I don't think we should think too hard about those types of issues with it. But anyway, in order to stop his suffering, Joel decides to also have his memory erased of Clementine. Much of the rest of the movie takes place in Joel's head as his memories of Clementine are kind of eradicated from their more recent fight to their, their first meeting at a party. So naturally, the first memories we see are painful, bitter. They're the final stages of the relationship. But as the memories recess further back, Joel realizes he doesn't want to lose those blissful memories of their beginnings. But unfortunately, since he's actually asleep in a, in a dream state during the procedure, he's unable to, to communicate his desire to stop it. And eventually, all of his memories of her are erased. Meanwhile, we also discover kind of during these scenes that the doctor has had an affair with his receptionist, Mary, who's played by Kirsten Dunst, 
Dunst, who had who had a great performance in the film, probably probably the best performance in the film, arguably. And she subsequently had her memory zapped to forget him, the doctor. When on the night of Joelle's procedure, the doctor's wife catches him cheating with her again. Mary learns from his wife that she had the memory erasing procedure done. And the upset Mary retaliates by calling, or not calling, but mailing all of uh, Lacuna's clients the proof of their procedures, which includes recorded justifications by each client for having done what they did. So the climax of the film occurs when, when back in the present, Joel and Clementine both discover their tapes in the mail, and they decide to listen to them. Painfully, in each other's presence, they decide to listen to them as well. But in the final scene, they decide, in spite of the hurtful things that each of the tapes said about each other, to give the relationship another chance. So, this film, it raises a lot of interesting philosophical questions. Is the relationship healthy? Jumping back in and, and all after having it zapped for a reason? Should you get your memory zapped to forget pain? Is the relationship predetermined? See, what does Joel realize as he's getting his memory of Clementine zapped away? It's the recall of those memories, realizing what he loved about her, her spontaneity, her impulsiveness, her being able to lead the conversation. He sees that Clementine compliments his personality traits, as Joel is more reserved, quiet, and kind of less of a, a, a risk taker. See, they kind of follow the idea of love that opposites attract. But luckily, Meet Me in Munich, or Montiac, sorry, I think I pronounced that wrong, was never zapped. Or maybe it was zapped, but the idea of Montiac was never zapped. As Clementine said this to Joel, as uh, his final memories of Clementine were being zapped away from either... I guess because both impulsively decided to go back to the place of the beach house where they first met. They meet again, not recognizing each other, and they hit it off once again. So the question is, will it end in a vicious cycle of starting out good and coming to an eventual doom? Under the circumstances, if any, would be justified in erasing our memories is something we should consider and what what we'll consider somewhat in this episode as well. So one idea to consider is a kind of a utilitarian response to determining if one should zap their memories away of someone. So utilitarianism states that an act is a right in as much as it maximizes overall happiness and minimizes overall suffering. So to put it kind of simply for the sake of time and focus on the podcast, in the case of utilitarianism, erasing a painful memory that would lead to a lessening of suffering and an increase in happiness would not be permissible, it would be prescribed. But there's, there's, you know, there's a but here. <laughs> but in the film, we see that Joel, Clem, and Mary, Kirsten Dunst's character, all had their minds zapped, yet they didn't appear happier. Their suffering seemed to continue on, and actually, in a way, it, it got worse. See, Jim Carrey's character, Joel, seemed to be lost and 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 abandoned in some way. He no longer had that someone to push him to the spontaneous things that he actually enjoyed doing and found out he enjoyed doing with Clementine. See, part of the film connected with me personally as me, like Joel, 
my partner pushes me to do spontaneous things. She compliments me in the way that Clementine compliments Joelle in kind of fitting together of those opposites attract. They, it kind of complements each other in a relationship. See, Clementine also had a weird feeling as well, the feeling of something missing. Maybe this is partly because Elijah Wood, who, who plays Patrick, who also works for the Mind Zapping Company, decides to take advantage of knowing the memories that Joelle and Clementine had. He tries to take Clementine to those same spots, essentially be the partner that Joelle was in a way. See, Clementine still sensed something wasn't right. And in t- turn, she, she continued to suffer from this. And Mary, who had the affair with the doc, who also had her mind zapped, she was also suffering from confusion and understanding that something was missing here. So when you zap away your memories that cause you pain and suffering, you are actually zapping away a piece of you. See, the situation also highlights a problem with, with consequentialism and utilitarianism, that it is impossible to determine the full consequences of any particular course of action. See, a possible message to take away from this is, we can't run from our pain. We can't run from our suffering. This pain and suffering we have is what teaches us about what we want and what makes us happy. So when you zap away memories of someone, the pain and happiness, you're also zapping away knowledge and lessons you learn from that. So maybe we're, we're actually losing much more than we gain. In a way, we, in a way that pain was, was worth it, I guess you could say. But the film also connects with Robert Nozick's uh, famous experience machine analogy. It's a famous thought experiment he wrote in um, his book, Anarchy, State, and Utopia, to kind of explain it here. So suppose there were an experience machine that would give you any experience you desired, any at all. The super-duper neuropsychologist would simulate or stimulate your brain so that you would think and feel you were writing a great novel, making a best buddy, inventing a great invention, you name it. All the time, you would be floating in a tank with electrodes attached to your brain. Should you plug into this machine for life, programming your life's desires. Now, while in the tank, you won't know that you are there. You'll think it's all actually happening. Others can also plug in to have the experiences they want. So there's no need to stay unplugged to serve them. So kind of ignoring the problem of who is servicing the machines, pretend it's self-serving robots. You know, they self-maintain. So would you plug in? What else can matter to us other than how our lives feel from the inside? So for Nozick, Nozick thinks other things matter. He believes most would not plug in and most should not plug in because people want to live with accordance to facts, a reality. For Eternal Sunshine, it's the opposite of the experience machine in a way. So you're, you are in reality, but have parts of that memory zapped away. So zapping away real experiences instead of having false ones. But the same lesson applies, that losing painful memories is like plugging into the experience machine. You would still be living in a lie. And the deprivation of truth can have harmful effects, not only for you, but maybe society as a whole. So a big-time philosopher uh, was a theme, theme throughout the film as well. Nietzsche, who was name-dropped multiple times by Kirsten Dunst's character when talking to the doc. 
Now, there's some divide on Nietzsche's kind of eternal recurrence, but the film seems to kind of interpret it in a, in a particular way. So I'll kind of put it simply for the sake of the podcast, but before you act, ask yourself, would you do the same choice for all of eternity? So for Nietzsche, you should be the man who can answer yes to this question. And for Joel and Clementine, they're saying yes to those that choice. Reliving with an option to make a different choice, they still they choose to relive the situation. They are affirming the life they want to live. So for Clementine and Joel, they are aware of the reality of their situation. But at the end of the tapes of the awful things they said about each other, you know, the ones that are, the ones that were sent out by Mary, they still choose to start their, their life in love, essentially. Forget about the failed attempts that they just relearned about because they feel that the good times they live will overcome the inevitable pain and suffering that will surely come from it. So one other way to think about this, though, to uh, think about the ending, when they both listen to what each other said about the other, they are still limited in their cognitive knowledge about what they felt. See, in those moments, in those, in those moments of the bad memories and good memories, if they had retained those prior feelings of pain from those memories, would they still have decided to start again? So you remember the, the memories were still zapped. So the knowledge of the emotions felt were also zapped because you can't really regain those from the tapes. But the film kind of has also an unclear ending and what we should take away, which, which is good. I kind of like that from my film. But when Clementine and Joel are at the beach and the film keeps playing back that moment on the beach where they're, you know, kind of running along the beach and it kind of looks like it's stuck in, stuck in, in that moment where it keeps replaying that few seconds. And it leaves you wondering, is this the first time they had their memories erased? Which opens up a whole other bag of philosophical ideas that we won't dive deep into today, but in a way, it's, it's kind of playing with the idea of predestination. That we are stuck in these loops and cycles of life, that because of who we are, we will continue to fall back into place. Now, maybe that's a little bit sadder of an idea than maybe, uh, you know, our, our just... In a way, they're, they're just best for each other, but I think it's something to consider. Why do we allow ourselves into the same loops, entering into things we know in the back of our minds that we should not be doing? And something else to ponder from this film before we get into the bonus content for the day is what really matters more, happiness or truth? And so now we're going to get into the bonus content, but if... You are listening to this and it's not the kind of the full episode. I'd like to say thank you for listening. Please subscribe, like, and review. Um, you can email me, uh, go onto my Twitter and comment to me, comment to me as well what you kind of think about the show. I'm always looking for feedback and you can find that stuff in the links below. But thanks again for listening. I really appreciate it.